0: Well, have you been to any good parties lately? Yeah, you do. Oh, that's good. Good to hear. What makes a good party for you? Is it uh, the music? Um, is it the size? Are you a person who likes the small party with the few close friends? Or do you like the big party with the dancing and the loud music? Maybe it's all about the food for you and the drink. Or maybe, and I suspect for most of us, the most important thing about a party is who's there. Who are you going to have fun with? Who are you going to dance with? Who are you going to talk to? Get to know a little bit better. Who will you companion with? Companion is a word that literally means with bread. Who are you going to break bread with tonight? Be with and share with and enjoy life together. good to have a good party and it turns out when we read luke's gospel that jesus loved to party we're in luke 15 here and up until this time we've heard about six gatherings that jesus had attended with all kinds of people all kinds of companions hosting and invited and even some not invited gate crashing the party and um, This was very frustrating for some people. And that's where we are in the passage today. You see it right at the start. The tax collectors and sinners gather around Jesus and the religious teachers and the Pharisees start to mutter. He welcomes sinners and tax collectors. You know, Jesus looked pretty promising to them at the start. They knew their Old Testament. They knew what Ezekiel and Jeremiah had said, they knew that God was sending a shepherd. One like him who would come, we heard this last week, would come and look after the flock, bring them together, lead them, get rid of those oppressive Romans. Come on, we thought this was Jesus. Since he was 12 years old, Luke tells us, he was in the temple talking with the spiritual leaders. He'd been healing people. He'd been driving out demons. Surely this is the one. But Jesus' behaviour, the company he's keeping, the people he's eating with and partying with all the time, it's just not right. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He can't be serious. He's not taking this seriously, they're saying. He's just looking for the next good time. He's happy to hang out with anyone, these no-hopers instead of us, the faithful followers of God's, the real flock. And he can't be seriousness, serious about God's holiness. He's happy to defile himself and us at the table. Doesn't he know that eating with these people will make us all unclean? Oh, and remember that time? Remember the time that woman came into Simon's party and Jesus let her? show that gross display of affection, weeping all over him, pouring perfume, wiping his feet with her hair, was disgusting. And even worse, those tax collectors, those surely are those fat, sleek sheep that Ezekiel warned us about, the one that the shepherd is meant to come and judge for trampling on the pasture and muddying the waters. They take our money and they give it to the oppressors. They take our money and build rich houses for themselves. And yet Jesus walked up to that guy Matthew while he was at the tax booth and invited him into his inner circle. Jesus' best friends are sinners and tax collectors. It's very vexing For these people to see Jesus doing that. And Jesus wants to answer this. And he replies with these stories that we've just read. He actually tells the story, the same story, three times in Luke 15. We've got two of them to look at. And I will refer to the third one a little bit later on. The shepherd and the sheep, the woman and the coins, they're the same story. And in the stories, Jesus is the shepherd. He's like the shepherd and he's like the woman. I love that he has the woman story there too because in case you think he's saying the shepherd to glorify himself, he also puts one of the most humble images from that culture side by side. The woman, the poor woman in the house sweeping the dirt floor looking for one coin. Jesus is like that woman and he's like the rough shepherd. hardworking, determined, humble. And that lost sheep and that lost coin represent those sinners and tax collectors that are getting on the leader's nerves. The rest of the flock, the 99, and those nine other coins are meant to be the religious leaders themselves. And so, with that in mind, hear the stories again. They go like this. Even though the shepherd has other sheep and the woman more coins the one that is lost is still reckoned valuable enough to go and search intently for. So the shepherd goes out and he looks high and low and he finds the sheep. The woman sweeps the floor, looking with her lamp to see the glint in the dirt. And when they find them, well, what will they do when they found this lost sheep and this lost coin? Now, if you had 99 sheep and you'd gone and found another one, what would you do? Pick it up, maybe meet out some discipline and put it back with the rest. And when you find the other coin, pick it up and keep it safely with the rest. I lose things a lot. I lose my keys probably every third or fourth day. And like the shepherd and the woman in this story, the search is frantic And when I've opened every bag and turned everything upside down, I grab my keys and what do I do? I get in the car and I go back to work. The keys are my way to get back to business. But not so in this story. It's a strange thing that happens when they find the lost sheep and the lost coin. When the shepherd finds the sheep, they celebrate. The shepherd lifts the sheep up. I love that picture on the order of service, and puts it on its shoulders. It's kind of a crazy image, isn't it? And they want to celebrate. They join. They ask neighbours to join in. The woman, she finds the coin. She calls her neighbours, I've found my lost coin. Come and celebrate with me. Finding my keys is a means to an end. The lost sinners and tax collectors that Jesus is companioning are the end. They are precious people. The people that God has made, the people of this world, matter to him that much. And he will seek them out and celebrate when they are found. And Jesus concludes the stories by saying this, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to break bread. When Jesus is partying, when he's breaking bread with these people, he is demonstrating what's going on in heaven. There's um, a not-so-famous C.S. Lewis book called Letters to Malcolm about prayer, but there's a very famous quote in there. He says, Joy is the serious business of heaven. The life we live now... All our lives we may be burdened with many sorrows. I know there are people here today who are grieving. People who are estranged from people that they love. All kinds of things can happen to us in this world. We feel the effects of sin. And yet this is not forever. The kingdom of God that Jesus brings in, the kingdom of God we're waiting to enjoy in awfulness fullness, is a place of joy. And when Jesus comes, he brings us a glimpse of that that celebration and joy, companioning with people and understanding God's grace and love for us. God and his angels delight over us, over those lost ones who return to him. Well, I wonder where you see yourself in these stories. Maybe, actually, you see yourself as one of the lost. You know that you're not yet following jesus the shepherd or even you've strayed from him in one way or another well if that is you can you hear jesus saying here that you are his priority you are the priority of jesus mission he is seeking you out and your part in being found in being reconciled to god is to repent did you see that in the story too the rejoicing is over one sinner who repents? It's not a word we use very much. So what does it mean? Repentance simply means turning away from one thing and toward another. And in this case, it means turning away from our sin and towards God. In the two stories that we have, that looks very passive, doesn't it? The sheep and the coin... But in the third story, we get more of a picture of what repentance looks like because in that famous story, there is a son who walks away from his family. He rejects his father and takes his inheritance and squanders it all and is left feeding pigs and eating food out there away from home. When he wakes up to himself and realises he's made a mistake, he decides to return home to the father. And he has a speech already. He expects to be rebuked and punished and possibly even rejected. But he's prepared to give it a try and to live out his days as a servant in his family home in order to repay his debts. And he knows it would be better to do that than live estranged from the father any longer. And that's what repentance looks like. It's a revolution of heart and mind. It involves remorse and redirection of our lives. It looks like the woman who gate crashes the party and weeps on Jesus' feet. It looks like Matthew looking Jesus in the face, hearing him say, follow me, leaving behind his tax-collecting days and going with him. That's repentance. So if you know you need to repent of your sin, sin being any way in which we rebel against God, the small and big selfish ways, the ways that we hurt ourselves and others. If you're creating your own hope and your own future apart from God, then you need to repent of your sin and be encouraged by this, that Jesus will have much joy in restoring you. He will not shame you. He will rejoice over you and make you another of his precious companions. In the story of the lost son, things turn out much better than he expects because the father has actually been looking for him. He's been waiting because he sees him when he's still far off and he runs to him. He embraces him. He forgives him. He restores his son to himself and he can't even get the speech out. Doesn't even get to say all those words he's formulated in his head. The father doesn't berate, he celebrates the beloved child returning. Joy is the serious business of heaven. So if you do repent today and you turn back to Jesus, know that there is joy. And I suggest that you just do it by talking to God, to praying to Him, but also by sharing it with someone else, a friend someone may be in the prayer time afterwards because the other person can extend God's grace to you assure you of God's love and celebrate with you this amazing moment well maybe some of you are not the lost ones maybe you're more like the muttering religious leaders in the story no one really wants to admit that do they but um, if you're used to sitting at the table with Jesus, being part of the flock under his care, being part of the church, comfortable in this crowd, then I tell you today that the danger is real. And I confess that myself, there are times when I feel jaded in the church, blind to the grace that God is extending me every day. And this is a wake-up call to me and to any of us when we sense these things when we feel entitled somehow in God's family. And I said that the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the story are the flock that are put aside while the priority is on the lost. But the beauty of this story is that inside it, Jesus offers them an invitation to not just be that flock at the side, the secure flock, but to become the joyful neighbours invited to celebrate. come on board with Jesus' mission and to seek and save the lost with him. To have a good time enjoying what happens afterwards as they see the flock added to. And to accept an invitation from Jesus to be on board with his mission will involve a shift of focus, of heart even, a willingness to enter into unknown territory with Jesus. To follow this shepherd is to follow one who relentlessly seeks to rescue and redeem and reconcile all kinds of sinners to himself, even to the point of death on the cross. I think the danger for a church in a culture like ours is not so much to divide people up into those moral categories like we saw the Pharisees doing in the story, but rather to fall into the negative aspects of what we call tribalism, where individuals seek the group that they most strongly identify with and feel comfortable with to stay there, make friends and become less interested or tolerant of other worldviews or different people. The danger for the church is that we are going to become our own tribe, but the church is not a tribe. We are the gathered family of God. And we come from every tribe, Jesus says, every tribe, nation, and culture on earth. We are God's family. And so if Jesus is to be, if Jesus' priority to seek and save the lost and his passion for them, his intent, um, intentness, as we saw to celebrate each one and to bring the serious business of heaven joy to us and uh, to our lives um, then what should we expect to see in our church and in our own lives I'm going to actually give you a minute uh, to talk to someone next to you what would it look like if we were a church who really were on about seeking and saving the lost and the joy of heaven just give you a minute to think and share maybe if you like Okay, Good conversations to have, I think, and to keep ticking over and thinking about um, together, maybe over morning tea or in your community groups. Here are some things I've thought about what it might look like. I think it would, first of all, look like a deep prayerfulness. Uh, To align ourselves to God's priorities and his um, view of things is not easy. So... um, kind of prayerfulness that asks God to show us how he sees the world, but also a prayerfulness um, for other people, prayerfulness for our own repentance and the repentance of people we know to come and know Jesus, prayer for revival in our community, in the inner north, in Melbourne, Australia. Serious prayer. Let's start those prayers. Let's be praying that way a prayerfulness that exhibits joy. I've loved the songs we've sung this morning and the way we've prayed together, celebrating the goodness of God and grace. We'll be that kind of church. I think our gatherings will increasingly collect up all kinds of people, young and old, from various cultures and political views, education and professions, interests and socioeconomic groups. Our church, community groups, playgroups, choir, gatherings in our homes and other places We'll be places of inclusion. We'll be people who look for those who want to step in and we'll be welcoming them. We won't let the fear of disruption that it may cause and our own interests stop us from doing that. We might feel it, it might not be easy, but we won't let our fear get the better of us. We'll prioritise the lost ones uh, in the world, by encouraging and training and investing in those amongst us who are gifted in mission and evangelism. By the way, these are things I think we are already doing to some extent, but good to hear them again. Uh, some people here, it's easy, I talk to them and they tell me about the conversations they've had during the week about Jesus with people. And I think that person, we need to encourage that person to keep having those conversations. That's not everybody, but each one of us needs to be ready to give an answer for our own faith when the opportunity comes to share it, not keeping it private but excited about others meeting Jesus. This involves remembering where we came from because each and every one of us has our own lost and found story in Jesus. So think about your story, learn how to tell it, this week in community groups, I'm asking you to do that, to share your lost and found stories with each other and to celebrate them somehow. We do this at our birthday celebration every year. We hear some of those stories and what a better place, our birthday celebration, to celebrate them. And finally, we'll be serious about cultivating joy in our community, celebrating in ways big and small the joy of of salvation and new life in Jesus we're coming up to Easter and there's no better time to do that as we reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus for us uh, the pinnacle of his mission to seek and save the lost I'm going to finish by praying for us with the opening words of the Lord's Prayer Jesus' disciples came to him and said teach us how to pray and he basically told them you need to be praying that heaven that we will have the priorities of heaven And the joy. So let me just finish with the opening of that prayer. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your great name will be glorified. We ask that your kingdom will come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.